Good morning, Freedom. How are y'all doing? Good, good. Did y'all have good Fourth of July? Who's y'all fireworks? Who played with sparklers? <laughs> I like the sparklers. Hey, I'm glad to see each and every one of y'all here this morning. I want to start off before we dive into the message or anything. I want us to just uh, pray for our pastor. We did that the first uh, service, and I want to do it again this service. Uh, that man has been putting in some serious work since this epidemic. He's been going since the beginning of the year, no Sundays off. Came in here uh, multiple times during the week, recording one online and also doing the service live. So he's been doing a lot. Chris has been kicking tail too, uh, doing extra editing and stuff like that. So they've been putting in a lot. But I want to pray specifically for the pastor since he's on vacation, getting an opportunity uh, to be refreshed and stuff. I uh, just want to take that moment and do that. I think I did that last time I spoke, and I want to keep that. It's kind of a habit that we do. Uh, so let's pray. Father God, we come before you in the great and mighty name of Jesus. Lord, we're so thankful for Pastor Best, Father, and the way he's invested into our church and shepherded us well through all this. Father, I pray that you would just give his, him and his family just a time of refreshing as they're taking this Sunday off, uh, just to encourage their relationship with one another, and most of all, their relationship with you. Uh, Lord, we're thankful for his leadership, for his encouragement, and once again, Father God, help us to show him encouragement the way he asked towards us. Forgive us if we failed in that, Lord, and uh, just to keep our pastor ever in our mind and our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All righty. Uh, ready to dive into the message. And the way I kind of want to start it off, as you see on the screen, the word what if. Uh, I don't know if y'all are like me, but I do a lot of what ifing in life. Does anybody do a bunch of what ifing? Uh, here's some examples of what ifing. We'll just kind of do a test to see if you are what if people. Uh, I like to what if if I got a large inheritance or what if I won a bunch of money. Anybody ever done those what ifs? Because when you do those what ifs, you end up going, huh, what if I won a bunch of money? Uh, I could finally get that beach house I wanted. Maybe I could finally have more than one vehicle that works at a time. Uh, that would be my what ifs. Uh, maybe you could have this great hunting facility you could go to. Uh, there's so many what ifs you could do with some money if you had it. Uh, anybody ever done the what if with money? Okay, uh, there's a bunch of those. There's the what if with scary things that you can do. Uh, if you're like me, I got a little bit of twisted mind, so it always kind of seems to flow to some scary stuff sometimes. Uh, like when I go to uh, an amusement park, sometimes I got students with me that go to these music parks, and I like to what if them and uh, go like, what if you hear a snap of a bolt as we're on top of this hill? What would you do right now? And uh, you can watch the fear in their eyes. It just what ifs can be fearful sometimes and make you a little bit nervous. Uh, there's the what ifs uh, if you're out camping and you hear a little shuffle in the bushes over there and a little, and you got some food that's like right in front of you. Is what if that's a bear? Am I going to die today? That might be a what if. Uh, if you're like me, you're not so concerned with uh, bears as you are with spiders. Uh, that's one of my big what-ifs in life. Like, little spiders scare me way more than a bear would. At least I could see my death coming. A spider kind of sneaks up and gets you and then crawls away, and then you like to see it moving. It's too late to do anything. But there is a what-if on that. And, for example, uh, my what-ifs with spiders is uh, I cleaned out my truck one day, and as I was cleaning out my truck, uh, I lifted some garbage to throw it away, and a little spider went running. And, uh, unfortunately, my, my swing to kill the spider wasn't quick enough, and the spider went up underneath my seat. Uh, I had to go somewhere, uh, so the entire way down the road is, what if the spider comes running out at me to attack me? And what do I do? Do I kill a bunch of people in traffic because I got to kill the spider or it will kill me? I don't know what to do. What if this thing, you know, happens? Last night I had a what if with a spider. Uh, we went to go see a fireworks show, and as we left the fireworks show, I walk under a tree, and my wife's like, what if there had been a spider web there? 
thanks. <laughs> so we get home, and there's a tree that's over our sidewalk going into our house. And so I get out of the car, and I have the what if of a spider's in a tree that I walk through. I walk all the way around to the front of the yard and come in from that entrance so I don't have to walk into the tree. What ifs can get to you sometimes. Uh, there's the what if in sports that, that some people have. Uh, last week that kind of inspired this message of, of the idea of forgiveness we'll get to in a little bit is uh, the pastor was talking junk about Duke. So uh, there's the what if. What if Christian Leitner had never made that shot? Maybe Kentucky could have won, but that's not a what if we got to worry about as a Duke fan. So that's one of the Duke uh, things. Uh, the Clemson fans have what ifs. They, they go, what if we could win a national title again this year if the pandemic goes away? What, what if we can do this? And who, who's like, woo, yeah, there's a few of you out here. Well, here, uh, I got a what if for you. It might be a little scary, Clemson fan. What if Dabo goes to Alabama when that job opens up. So look at the fear of what if can bring into some people's eyes. What if you're a USC fan? You've been what ifing for a long time. <laughs> There's some what ifs that go on. There's scary what ifs. There's sports what ifs. There's what if we got money what ifs. There's all types of what ifs. There's the people that took what ifs very seriously. You got Edison. Edison said, what if we can get light inside our homes? What an incredible what if. See, what ifs can be huge blessings. What ifs can be dreams that lead to uh, inventions, that lead to fulfillment of things. Those are some great what ifs. Those what ifs can change our lives. They can make dreams realities. There is the what ifs of uh, Steve, I'm going to make sure I say it right, Chris, Steve Jobs. Jobs. Steve Jobs. See, Chris was very generous, and he forgave me earlier for messing up that name, and I figured I'd just ask him to correct it. We'll just call him old Steve. Uh, unfortunately, he has passed, but here's what's cool about what Steve did. How many of y'all got a cell phone in your hand that's a, a smartphone? Most of you in this room. Thanks to him having his dreams become realities, we can enjoy that. He had a bunch of what-ifs. What-ifs can be inspirational. The what-ifs of Edison, the what-ifs of Jobs, those what-ifs can be powerful things that can change the world. There's the great what-if of the peanut butter and sam jelly sandwich guy. Honestly, I don't know who gets credit for it. I'm pretty sure his name wasn't peanut butter, it wasn't jelly, it wasn't, sam it wasn't any of those things. But tell me you don't appreciate that guy's inventive attitude, uh, dreams becoming reality. But i got to pause and ask some of you something. Are you a strawberry jelly person? Raise your hand. Great jelly person. That's, that's, the right, that's the appropriate thing. When he had the dream that he wanted to become reality, I'm pretty certain that his goal was for you to put grape jelly. Now, if you want to stretch things and you want to go strawberry, live wild. What if? All right. But dreams become realities. We have these things. And I say all that to kind of get us to this ultimate point. We as Christians should be, and followers of Jesus should be, what if people? We should constantly, th constantly be thinking, what if God's dreams become reality? What if what God desires for us becomes the reality of what we see in the world around us? What if we embrace those things? Although it will be hard, what if we obeyed God quickly? Do we think about that often? That is what we're called to do. That's when we see our lives and our world change, is when we say, God, what is your dream? What do you want to become reality? Then I want to dream that too, and I want that to be our reality. But I think that's one of the biggest challenges in our world today is that we don't embrace God's dreams, and we don't seek out His realities. Because if we did that, the world would look a whole lot different. And one of the great starting points of that, what ifs that we could do in obeying God, is this thing. What if we forgive? 
What if we forgive? I want us to understand that. What if we forgive? What if we are followers of Jesus, followed what Jesus called us to do, and, and we forgave others? How could that dream become a reality and change the world we live in? It starts with us, though. What if fathers forgave their children? Children forgave their fathers. Mothers forgave their children. Children forgave their mothers. What if co-workers forgave each other? What if people in the church forgave each other? Can you imagine the dream of that becoming a reality? How different the world would look? How about your own personal life? How different could that look? And I want us to just kind of walk through that. But the first point I want to kind of put up is the definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness is the act of surrendering Surrendering our right to be bitter and angry towards others for their sins towards us. Let me read that again. Forgiveness is the act or the action of surrendering our right to be bitter and angry towards others for their sins towards us. And I want to pause right here and I want to make it super clear. Some of you have been through some incredible pain in your life. Some incredible hurt. I have too. I'm going to share a little bit of that story as we go through this. When I call, I'm telling you what God tells us to do and forgive. I'm not saying it's an easy road. I'm telling you it's God's dream for you. I'm telling you if you allow that dream to become a reality, you'll see the benefit of it. I'm not saying what you do is excuse what somebody did to you. There are people that have been abused physically and sexually. That's not to be excused, not to be ignored, I mean. Not to say it doesn't matter. I'm saying you're saying to them it may not be excusable. There's consequences for what you did. But I forgive you for it. I release you from it. And when you release them from it, not their consequences they deserve, you release them from controlling your life and what's in your life. Let go. Because you may feel that you've got a right. And maybe you, you do. And by law, you've got a right to see some punishment come their way. And you're not excusing them what they have to face, but you're saying, I forgive them. I'll have to let them face their consequences, but they're not going to drag me with it. See, what if we forgive? What if those dreams become the reality? What if God's desires become our reality? What if we see that happen? And once again, I want to make it very clear. You're not excusing the wrong, but you're forgiving the wrong. The wrong's not excusable, but it's forgivable. So the next thing I want us to kind of move into, we got this definition of forgiveness. we got what it would be like if we let God's dreams become our reality. And the next thing I want to take us to is this. Why do we forgive? It's this. God's Word calls us to us. Calls us to it. We're called to forgive. The Word of God says forgive. If you say you're a Christ follower, you're a follower of Jesus, you're a Christian, and that means you follow what God's Word says. And it's not always easy. Sometimes it's very hard, but you follow what God's Word says. That's what we do as Christians. Jesus says something, I follow what Jesus says. That's His dream. I want to embrace it as my reality. I want to live that way. God's word calls us to us to forgive. Let's read Ephesians 4.32. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Everybody say it with me. What? Forgiving each other. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. God's word says, forgive each other. There's another verse that's great with that. It's Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have a grievance against someone. Read that again. Bear with each other, and everybody say it with me again. Forgive each other. Those things are very important. That's what God calls us to do. Who says, hey, God's word is always easy to follow? Anybody? It's, it's not. 
And I love this verse, and I like to see the humor in Scripture sometimes, I guess because I can kind of apply it to my own life and look, and I start thinking weird. I told you I get a little twisted in thoughts and stuff. And this is one of them. When it's talking about forgiveness, we've got these clear verses, forgive, forgive, we've already read. But then we got Peter who, who shows up to talk with Jesus and ask him about this thing called forgiveness. And maybe I'm putting myself too much in Scripture uh, because I'm bad at math, so I think this applies in, in this way to me. Anybody else bad at math in here? Then let this speak to you. Uh, I feel like I'm dyslexic in math sometimes, so it makes it real simple. Let me ask you, how many fingers do we typically have if God's given us all our fingers and we still have them? We have... Ten. Okay, so I need you to keep that in mind as we read this scripture. So Peter strolls up to Jesus in Matthew 18, 21 through 22, and it says, Then Peter came to him, talking about Jesus, and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I can make it to that because I got those fingers. So, Peter says, how many times should I forgive someone? Jesus, how about we go with seven? I don't know, but if I'm Peter, the reason I went with seven is because i got three fingers I can toy with if Jesus goes, hey, I want you ten. So I can stretch myself a little bit beyond my comfort zone, but I want to make sure I'm within reason of what I feel like I'm capable of doing. I don't have to use supernatural power to do that. I can just use my fingers. And look how Jesus responds to him. No, not seven times. There is no ten, but not ten. Jesus replied, but seventy times what? Seven. Do you have 490 fingers unless you're a mutant? No, there isn't that many. Can you sit here and count like, after one time I forgave, two times I forgave, three times I forgave. That would go away completely from Corinthians. It says keep no record of wrongs in Corinthians 13. So there's that. You really, you really can't do that. So Jesus, when Peter wants to know how to forgive someone, Jesus drops a math problem on Peter. And if Jesus dropped a math problem on me, I'd be like, it might just be easier to forgive than to count this thing up, Jesus. I'm done with the argument. But here's what the deal is. God's Word calls us to forgive. And it may not be easy. And we can go 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. I'm good. (laughs) But Jesus calls us to go further. His dream is to go further in that forgiveness. If you want to see the realities of God's grace at work. We have to get out of our comfort zone to do that. But the reason Jesus points to and God's Word points to the reason we should forgive is this next reason. It's because bitterness has a dangerous root that always bears a poisonous fruit. Bitterness is the opposite of forgiveness. Bitterness is something that gets in our lives and controls us if we don't forgive. It's a question of what dream do we have? What reality do we want to see? Do we dream about getting back at somebody or do we dream at doing what Jesus tells us to do and seeing the fruit of that? Or do we want to see the poisonous fruits? Hebrews 12, 14 through 15 says this. Verse 14, make every effort to live in peace with what? Everyone. Can I ask y'all a question? How many of y'all on social media? How many of y'all watch the news occasionally? Do we look like we're at peace with everyone? No. You want to know why, in part? Because we don't embrace God's dreams. We don't get to see his realities and what we desire is what he desires become the realities because we don't embrace those what-ifs. What if we obeyed God? What if we did things like forgive? It says, live at peace with everyone. And the next part's so important. And to be what? Holy. This definition of holy... Sorry, this thing keeps slipping. This definition of holy 
is a powerful thing to understand. See, God's word throughout also tells us we're to be holy as he is holy. Now, we can't be 100% perfect in that, but we're supposed to strive to be like Jesus. Holiness means to be set apart, to be separate, to be different. And see, we're never going to see God's dreams become a reality until we say, I want to be different. I want to be more like God. I want to be more like Jesus in my life. There will be no peace until we embrace the idea of God's dream of holiness, to be separate, to be different, to not be sucked into what the world is doing, but to separate ourselves to be what God is doing. That is what we're called to. Make every effort to live at peace with everyone and to be holiness, holy because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. If we don't decide to separate ourselves to honor God, to do things like forgive and do the what-ifs that he calls us to, then the world is not ever going to see him because he's entrusted us with the gospel to preach that and to live that out. Verse 15, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. And grace is shown through forgiveness. And that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. The New Living Translation puts it this way. Watch out that no, everybody say that with me. Poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you and corrupting many. Let me pause right there. Does anybody know what the point of poison is? It's to kill. If i got a rat in my house that's sneaking through my house, pooping and eating my foods, what do I do? I put a little poison out because I want the rat what? Dead. Back in the early 1600s or whenever the kings were like alive and stuff, you know what they used to do? They had a cupbearer. And the cupbearer would drink before the king drank because they were afraid there would be what in the cup? Poison. So if anybody was going to die that day, it was going to be the what? Cupbearer. Poison has a purpose, and the purpose of poison is to kill. And when we allow bitterness into our life, we allow that root to dig deep, and the fruit of that is going to be destruction and death because it's nothing but poison that litters our life and affects those around us. Once again, if we want peace, we're going to have to live holy. We're going to have to live out God-sized dreams to see those realities. And if we don't do that, then what's going to be left is the root of bitterness. And bitterness brings a poisonous fruit. Here's a kind of a point of that. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. It says, get rid of what? All bitterness. That's so key. Get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of all of that. Does anybody want to drink just a tiny bit of poison? No. God's word says, let forgiveness rule. Don't let bitterness rule because it bears a poisonous fruit and you don't even want a little bit of it. You want to get rid of all of it. And I think it shows destruction of bitterness in this. after this. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and every form of malice. Do when I cut on the TV or look at social media, do I see a lot of anger? Do I see a lot of malice? Do I see all this destructive stuff? It's because I think, in part, people don't know how to forgive anymore. And when somebody attacks somebody, they feel like they got to attack back instead of being like Jesus and living a wholly separate lifestyle than the world tells you to. Because the world preaches, you got to make them pay. Vengeance should be yours instead of God's. This is not God's dream or reality. It is our dreams and realities to seek revenge and get bitterness in our lives. And it's poisonous and it will destroy us. And there's the evidence of it. And that's the reason in verse 32 it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Because we got a choice. Who's going to control our lives? Because it's either going to be Satan or it's either going to be God. you got two choices on what's going to control your life and dictate to you what direction you should go. One's going to feed you poison. One's going to give you life. Who are you going to choose? 
Because Jesus puts it pretty simple in context of this. In John 10, 10, it says, The thief, talking about Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. In other words, he comes to get poison into your life so he can destroy you and everybody around you. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the what? Full. Jesus' way or the world and Satan's way? What do we choose? Whose dreams are we following? Whose realities do we want to see come to fruition? What do we want to see happen? That's the bottom line with this. And I want to tell you, I understand this anger, rage, resentment, and all that. It is so stinking destructive. It will mess you up. It will mess up your prayer life. Mark eleven twenty five says this, And when you stand praying... If you hold anything against anyone, you need to what? Forgive them. And your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. And that is not easy to just forgive. See, there's different levels of forgiveness. There's some forgiveness I can do easy. There's some I just don't care to do at all. There's some forgiveness that's easy. I'm sitting at a table with some friends. Somebody bumps me under the table. And they're like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. They might bump me six more times after that and if I'm Peter, I'm good because that's seven times we're good to go. And like my, my wife, she can bump me under the table because I might be saying something stupid. And I forgive her because she just saved me from being embarrassed and embarrassing her. So that's good. There, there's that kind of forgiveness. We're good with that. Then there's like a little bit more into forgiveness, like when a stranger bumps into you at the mall, seemingly purposely or something like that, and you're like, whoa. And they're like, huh. And you're like, I ain't worth it. I forgive and move on. You know what I'm saying? There's those kind of forgiveness. And then there's the Japanese restaurant forgiveness. That's the hard one. That's one of the hard ones. That's like another level. That jumped ahead. If you know me, I like Japanese food. And I'll never forget this time. It's years ago. It seems like I'm still bitter, but I'm really not. It's just part of the storyline. But here, here's the deal. Went to the Japanese restaurant, and we're sitting there. Me and my wife, this is before my daughter came along. And i just got to be honest with you, kind of set up the story. I did not want little children. I did not want them at all. <laughs> I was happy being a youth pastor, and dealing with little children is not my gifting. I like Once I hit teenager, I'm good to go. Little kids I struggle with sometimes, just to be honest. So, always had that. That was the reason we had such a delay in having children, because I was trying to talk my wife out of it as long as possible. So, ended up being a blessing long term. So we're sitting in a Japanese restaurant, and this lady comes in with her wild child going, ah, and all that. And I'm like, I turn over to Nita. I'm like, they're going to sit right beside us. And that little girl's going to be right beside me, I bet you. My wife, as usual, will say, calm down. That's not going to happen. I'm like, it's going to happen. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. I'm not prophetic, but I see this coming. And like, so it rolls up to me, and sure enough, the little kid sits there. It's like all wiggly and moving around and everything. And so the waitress comes and says, what do y'all want to drink? to them, and we've already had our drink, we've been sitting there a little bit, and uh, she's like, she'll take a Coke, and she's like, do you want me to get one with a safety, the lid over it, and the woman says, no, I don't, she don't need that, I then turn to my wife and go, that little kid's going to knock that over on me, I know it, I see it coming, <laughs> like, once again, not prophetic, but I can see it, so she comes over there, sure enough, that little kid, that drink's been there about four or five seconds, and covered in coke myself and i'm a little calm your kid down calm myself down and then like the parent you would think like it would be easy to forgive the parent like oh i'm so sorry let me put i help you out no mom just sits there and kind of looks over to me he's like oh i can't believe you knocked that over and meanwhile the waitress runs over there and is kind of trying to give me napkins and stuff to help me out but never did that and then the waitress goes do you want another drink to them and she says yeah and she says we want to live now and she says no, we're good. 
<clears throat> At which point, I'm like, I look like I peed on myself. So when I go out of this restaurant, everybody's going to be like, he peed on himself, bad bladder. No, but that, I was like, okay. At that point in time, I did not want to forgive fully. I was pretty angry. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, do I want God's dreams or do I want something destructive? I went with God's dreams. I was just like, I'm going to let it go. Forgive them, enjoy my Japanese food, throw a little white sauce on it and make it all right. Then I ate my food, I left. I'm pretty sure people were giggling as I went by as I looked like I peed on myself, but it was okay. See, there's different levels of forgiveness. But see, those, those have been kind of humorous and thoughtful. But there's like legit forgiveness that's super hard. It's forgiveness that I've had to do sometimes. I've been hurt by churches before. Places where you're supposed to feel safe and they turn against you and do the wrong things to you. Maybe you're in this room and you've been abused physically or sexually or, or verbally. Maybe those things have happened and you're like, I can't forgive those things. Once again, I'm not asking you to excuse them. I'm asking you to forgive them, to move on, to not let that bitterness take root in your life because it's destructive. Because I can tell you, I can testify, I can share to you that I know the destructive root of bitterness and I know the poison that it can bring into your life and the lives of others. Because one of the biggest hurts I ever had in my life, there's two of them that, that really stick out, and I'm going to share the redemptive part of them, but I want to share the bad part first. I, I worked at a church for six years, and I started their youth ministry, and, and it was a growing youth group, and a lot was going on, and things were, were happening. And then the pastor started getting an idea that he wanted to plant a new church somewhere, and he wanted me to go start going to that church and be kind of his... Uh, associate pastor over there and kind of depart from my calling to be a youth pastor and I, I really didn't want to do that and we had discussions back and forth and uh and I was like I don't really care to do that and so he acted like it was okay at first and then next thing I knew this is almost exactly 15 years from today that I, I'm sharing this story because it was right before my birthday I'll never forget it. it was like the worst fourth of July weekend ever they called me to the church and um I walk in, and basically the elders are all sitting there. The pastor's sitting there. He's like, hey. Uh, and it's, once again, you get a weird phone call on a weird day asking you to swing by for a meeting. It don't make you feel comfortable to begin with, and you're trying to figure out what's going on. Then you get gut punched when you walk in the door, and you've never had a review in all your years of being there. Like, we just want to review some of what you've been doing and all that. First of all, we want to say, you know, you've done a lot for this church, and we really appreciate all you've done. Matter of fact, uh, we're really thankful for Tolga, and he, it was a Muslim uh, exchange student who started coming to our church, was open to the gospel. You know, we realized you had a huge impact on him, and, man, we, we appreciate all that. But, man, it seems like there's some division between you and the pastor on the direction of things. So, uh, man, we're going to let you go today. And, like, nobody talked to me. Nobody did Like, what happened? <laughs> and then the bribery came, like, hey, we're going to give you some money just to be quiet. And, uh, you know, don't tell anybody. Just tell them you decided to resign. I'm like, what? And what made it so bad wasn't any of that. It was the other part of the division. My pastor, I shared with him some things about not wanting children. I shared those things with him in confidence. And if you know anything about when you have a conversation with a pastor, it's supposed to be in confidence. Everybody in that circle started going, oh, yeah, we got a problem with you not wanting to have children. How can you be a youth pastor? We don't understand that. And that's another part of the reason we're going to let you go now. I just started crying. I could cry today thinking about it. But I told my pastor something in confidence because I was struggling with something, and he used that as part of the reason to get rid of me. It wasn't any moral failure or anything. It was something I was struggling with, and he twisted it up with them, and other people got in his head, and it just caused chaos. It sent me spiraling. 
I ended up in another church within a month later being the youth pastor. It was a better paid job and everything. It would have been great, but I will tell you this, the bitterness leaving that church to go into that was not a healthy thing to do. Taking unhealthy bitterness into another environment does not change the bitterness in your own heart. <laughs> but I, I figured out, and I, what showed the bitterness is I literally drove by the old church to get to the new church every day, and I would have thoughts about how I wanted that dude to get hurt. <laughs> and it would make me no happier than to find out some kind of moral collapse happened with him or something. It was driving me, and I would go to that other church to try to preach the gospel and share the gospel, and it just wasn't coming out right. It's destructive. It will ruin you. It will mess you up as a poison that kills everything around you. It's the way of Satan, not the way of God. And that, that just kept going. And the church, to show you how God works sometimes, the church I went to always recited the Lord's Prayer every week. And if you know anything about the Lord's Prayer, it says in Matthew 6, 19-13, as you go through the Lord's Prayer, it says, This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. I had to say that every week, but I didn't want to forgive. I had no desire at that point to forgive. I'd been hurt like I'd never been hurt before by the people that shouldn't hurt me ever. But here we were. And eventually, my back gave out and I had a ruptured disc in my back. Still believe to this day, my health kind of led to that point because of that issue. I ended up resigning from that church because I saw every flaw that could ever exist in the church because I was afraid I was going to get hurt again. And actually, when I left that church, somebody said, you're just afraid to get hurt, aren't you? I'm like, partly, yeah, I'll be honest with you, because I had shared with them my story. It was a hot mess. It, it caused arguments with me and my wife. It made me even further from the idea of having children. It was, a, it was so destructive. It was a poison that was affecting everything around me, my health, my family. It was all of it completely destructive. And here I am trying to pray the Lord's Prayer. And remember things like verse 14 in chapter 6. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you. How am I supposed to deal with this? There's poison in my prayer life. There's poison in my walk with God. There's poison in my family. And I'm letting it be so destructive. And see, that thing sent me so far over the edge. I'm going to be honest with you. What ends up happening is after I had my back surgery, me and my wife got in another argument about children. And you know what I did? I got in my truck. And if you know anything about my truck, I got some stuff hiding in it that can be something that could injure others. And I honestly left my house, went straight to that church at a time I knew that pastor was typically there. And I'll tell you what, if he had been there that night, I would not be standing on the stage. I'd probably be on probation somewhere. Because I did generally want to hurt him. The bitterness had gone that far and that deep that that was what had become in my life. And I remember getting to that church and I pulled in that parking lot and he wasn't there. And I remember the voice of God, just like it was that today as it was then. You keep going down this path, Dwayne, your life's going to be so messed up. And I remember pulling out of that parking lot, and I called a friend of mine that went to the same church that was upset about what had happened. And I was like, John, he's a Christian counselor, and I was like, tell me, man, what am I supposed to do? I wanted to go, I wanted to go beat Bill with something. He said, you need to go home, and first of all, you need to quit walking down this path, and you need to change direction. The first thing you need to do is go home and write on a piece of paper what all he's done with you and how you feel about it, and you need to lay it over to the side, and you need to start changing your direction. And I did that. Shortly after that, I ended up getting another job at another church in Savannah, Georgia. And on my drive down to Savannah, Georgia, back and forth every week, God kept dealing with my heart. Dwayne, do you want to be used the way that I wanted to use you? Do you want to live out the dream I have for you? Is that what you want for this new church, Dwayne? I was like, yes, God, I want to see what you did again. 
And I felt him say, then you've got to forgive that former pastor. And I'll get into that story at the end. But here's what I want to take us to. Is Jesus talking about the destruction of unforgiveness? He's got a whole parable about it in Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Read that uh, through with me. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king. This is representative of God and Jesus who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And we all have to settle accounts with God at some point. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. Can I ask y'all, what's more expensive, gold or silver? Gold. Let's look at this. So the man owed 10,000 bags of gold, was about to get sold into slavery to pay the price for this, and he asked for forgiveness of the debt. The king gives him forgiveness of the debt, hoping maybe that the king's dream for him would be redemptive in a way that it would change the world around him. But the man ignored that. In verse 28, But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants. I like the word fellow servant because they're on equal ground before the king. Who owed him a hundred, what, silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. The fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Verse 31. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Go back to that holiness thing. We're supposed to be holy as God is holy. That means that I need to be set apart. I need to be merciful as God is merciful. This servant had been shown mercy, but when had the opportunity to show mercy in return, ignored it. Instead of remembering the gold that he had been given, he was worried about the silver that he wanted. And what it ends up doing, it affects him and his family because in verse 34 it says, In anger, in anger his master handed him over to the jailer to be tortured until he should pay back all that he had owed. It affected him and his family. It was torture what he was facing because of his decision not to show mercy. That is some strong language in Scripture. If you choose not to forgive, you're going to get tortured. It may not be in eternity, but your life's going to be full of a whole lot of torture if you choose to reject God's best dream for you, the reason he forgives us. Verse 35, this is how the Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. You want to wreck life, keep bitterness in it. So we got this idea. We understand what the definition of forgiveness is. We got the understanding of the importance of forgiveness. But now you may be asking, how do I forgive? How do I keep the root from growing? How do I get the poison out of my system? What do I do? I don't want to live this way. I want to live God's dreams. I want to see His realities. I'm sick of the death and the destruction and the poison of bitterness. And let me pause right here because I want to say this. Some of you might be like, I don't have any bitterness or issues with anybody. Let me tell you, it's very likely you may have those pop up before you know it. 
This is a preparation if you aren't already going through it. But so how do we forgive is the question. And it goes back to the last verse we looked at, Matthew 18, 35. You forgive your brother or your sister from your what? Your heart. You gotta open up your heart to some stuff. You gotta allow God to work in your heart. This isn't a superficial thing that happens. This is a supernatural thing. This isn't something you go, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, I'm good. I got some extra room to count, God. I can do it on my own. This is the power of God at work to forgive, to get rid of the bitterness. And so how do we do it? We open up our hearts to God's forgiveness towards us. That's where it starts. We open up our hearts to God's forgiveness towards us. Throw that picture of the cross up for me. I brought this crown of thorns, and this is a legit crown of thorns. If I stab this on your head, it will hurt a lot. It's painful. But I want you to take that picture, and I want you to take this thought of this crown, and I want you to read the words of Jesus from the cross. As he was facing hurt and pain. I want you to understand Jesus, before he went to the cross and was crucified, he had been spat on, he had had his beard yanked, he had been insulted. He's gone through all these things. He had had a cat of nine tails rip into his skin and tear it off. He had been forced to carry the cross up the hill with only a little help. Jesus went through all of that stuff. He had taken on the the religious community had taken on the government of the Romans. He had taken all of these things on. And they were abusive to him. Physically, emotionally, and spiritually, Jesus is struggling on that cross. With a crown, As he, before he went to the cross, they stuck this crown on his head. And it says they took a staff and they beat it onto his head. Jesus did all of that. And when I say that we need to open our hearts to God's forgiveness towards us, because just like we need to remember the king forgave that servant, and the servant should have forgiven the other servant, the fellow servant, we're called to look at Jesus, our king, and look at what he did on the cross, to hear his words, and to practice forgiveness ourselves. Luke 23, 33-34. Once again, it says, Jesus said out on the cross, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Those words echo, Father, forgive them. Jesus wasn't just talking about the Roman soldiers that day. Jesus wasn't just talking about the Jewish leaders that day. He was talking to you and He was talking to me because it was our sin that put Him on that cross. It was our sin that got that crown shoved upon His head. It was our sin that He took the cat of nine tails. It was our sin that He took the nails It was our sins. Until we see Jesus and what He did, we'll never be able to take the next steps of forgiveness. And let me tell you, forgiveness is a process. And you've got to start to walk in it out. And it starts with walking to the cross first and seeing the forgiveness of God. Because when you're captured by that vision of His sacrifice and Him saying, Father, forgive them, it changes you because that wor- those words echo from 2,000 years ago to you in this seat right now and to me on this stage. Father, forgive them. He forgave you and he went through the brutality of the cross to do it. Once we understand the forgiveness of God, the next thing we got to do is we got to open our hearts to the truth. God will never, ever waste surrendered pain. I love saying that. Just God will never, ever waste surrendered pain. The only pain that goes to waste is the pain you hold on to. The root of bitterness inside your heart is a pain that will cause such destruction. The pain that can't be redeemed if you hold on to it. 
Because I need you to look at what Jesus said after that them part in Luke 23, 33-4. Jesus said to the Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. When Jesus says they do not know what they are doing, He's saying, God, I know what you're doing though. God, they don't know what they're doing with the pain they're bringing upon me, but you do. I'm suffering this pain and this torment. And Jesus isn't bitter from the cross. He asked those people to be forgiven. And He says to God, you get it. They don't. Because we know the end of the story. Jesus dies on that cross, but He's resurrected. Redemption happens. Salvation could be for the Roman soldiers. Salvation could be for the Jews. Salvation could be for us here in this room. Because of what Jesus did. It captivates us. It helps us to understand that when we surrender our pain of the crosses we bear, of hurt and abuse and stuff, when we say, hey, we're not excusing the consequences of that, because Jesus took the consequences, I will choose to forgive. And when I choose to forgive, God's dreams start to become realities. Because we say, God, you're a sovereign. I refuse to allow the death and the poison of bitterness to destroy me. I'm choosing the life you choose. It can save lives. Because Jesus going to that cross saves lives. Because of the resurrection that followed. There's a perfect story and an example of that going all the way back to the New Testament. It's the story of Joseph. If you don't know the story, most of us do probably in this room. But Joseph, as a young man, was sold into slavery by his own brothers. <laughs> How many in this room have been sold into slavery by their own brothers? Maybe it's sisters. Anybody? Nobody. And that sent him spiraling to a, a, a reason for bitterness far beyond anything I can describe to you. I've been hurt by family. I've been hurt by churches. I've been hurt by people. But never that extreme. He goes into slavery and then he starts trying to do the right things and all he gets is the wrong results. It could have made him bitter. He had people he entrusted as friends who were supposed to help him out and they didn't. They just forgot about him and left him in jail cells. He had people lying on him all the time. He could have been like, I hate my brothers. They're going to pay if I ever get the chance. But look what Joseph says in Genesis 45, 4 through 5. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. And when they had done so, he said... I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Now, this is the Duane version of what would happen after that verse. You sold me into, G- into Egypt, you punks. Uh, why don't y'all stand here a minute? Uh, I know y'all here for some food and some grain and stuff. I got something special for you. Hey, can you get Joe the executioner in here? They're gonna, y'all are going to pay today. I went through a lot. I'm a little bitter. That would be what I would be tempted to say. But God had something better planned. See, Joseph says these words. And now do not be distressed. He's telling people that hurt him, don't be distressed. Don't be angry with yourselves. i got a right to be angry with you, and I'm choosing not to be. For selling me here because it was to what? Save lives that God sent me ahead of you. You meant to hurt me. God meant to use it for glory. They meant to hurt Jesus. God meant to use it for glory. What if I told you the hurt and the pain that you felt and been done wrong with was to be used for God's glory? You'll never see it until you say, God, I surrender my pain to you. But when you do, you'll see some supernatural stuff happen. Let me go back to my story. I told you I wanted to hit my former pastor with an object. I wanted to do that. And I went through a whole process, and I, I went back and forth to Savannah, as I told you, and I kept hearing God, Dwayne, do you want this to be your life? Do you want this to be your life? Do you want to be used by me? Do you want my dreams to be your reality again? Do you want that? 
Yes, God. And back and forth on that trip, some incredible things happened. That's back and forth on this trip to Savannah and to Greenville while we tried to figure some stuff out. While I was working at that church, I, I, I finally gave in to the fact God wanted me to have a child, which I'm grateful for. And I gave in to that fact that well, God needed me to forgive that man. But I thought I had it my way. I thought I was going to do it my way. Like I had the seven count plan, the one, two, three. I, I could handle my way. And I was, thought I could maybe trick God into like, okay, God, if you stumble on this, it's on you. And I'll never forget, I came back from Savannah, I went and played basketball that afternoon, I'm like, okay, it's Friday afternoon, there is no way on earth this man's going to be at the church, and I can say I did my part, I'm being deceptive as can be, trying to have this little thing with God going back and forth, but I'm like, okay, I'm going to go by the church, if he's there, God, I'm going to do this thing. And so I drove by, and sure enough, I saw his vehicle in the parking lot, and I would like to tell you, I just whipped that thing to ride on into the parking lot, I did not do that. I drove straight down the road, like, going, I don't think I can do this. I started calling people. I was like, hey, can you meet me over at the church? And I'm, I'd like to talk to the pastor, and I need you to be with me. And like, I couldn't get anybody to answer the phone except for one person. And one person told me, Dwayne, let me ask you a question. Did God call you to do this, to forgive him? I was like, yeah, he did. Then I don't need to be there. What? He said, this is for you and God to deal with. If you want to see God work in this situation and he's called you to it, you need to carry your butt on back to the church. And I'd like to say I just hopped right off the phone and drove straight there. I sat in the parking lot of a grocery store for about another 20 minutes going, I don't know, God, like, I don't know, trying to waste some time. Going 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, I'm up to 10, God, like I'm going about as far as I can go. Then I finally was like, I, I got to do this if I want to see. I kept hearing in the back of my mind, you want my dream to be your reality, Go. So I drove to that church, and I hear people testify all the time. When they obey God, there's like a weight just pops off of them. And I'll be honest with you, I drove into that parking lot. As soon as I drove completely into that parking lot, it was like, boom, a weight came off of me. And I started to want to cry a little bit, and I walked into the door of that church. If I'd waited five more minutes, this story wouldn't be told right now. But he was walking out of his door with a briefcase in his hand, and he saw me, and his eyes got real big. I don't know if they got real big because he had an idea that I at one time resented him such I would have had an object in the room with me. But I looked at him, and I said, I want to tell you right now, you don't say anything. I want to say I forgive you for all the hurt and the pain you caused me, and I'm not going to hold it anymore. And if I did anything to hurt or cause you pain, then I forgive you right now. I'm so sick of this. I want Jesus and what he wants for me. And he began to weep too, and we wept together, and we talked for a little bit, and he was like, I'm so sorry, Dwayne, I shouldn't have done that. And we went back and forth in that room, and you could just feel the weight. In the same building, there was so much built up in me at one point in time. And he said, Dwayne, you want to go to Moe's? I'm like, I'm not that far down the road in the process. About six months later, we did go to Moe's. And I want to tell you, that's one of my best friends in ministry still to this day. We had such a hard situation. He actually went out of ministry for a while, came back to ministry, uh, planted a church. And when he planted the church, who was one of the first people we called, asking questions about planting the church and remembering and asking my opinion on stuff, it was me. When we started this epidemic, he, I was one of the first people he called. Like, hey, man, what's some ideas on the computer and stuff? How are y'all doing stuff at y'all's church? Because God healed that relationship. And I didn't hold that bitterness anymore. And I chose to forgive. Did that excuse what had happened? No. But it's good to be able to think, hey, it's not excused, but it's forgiven. And with my dad, I shared that story. My dad was verbally abusive towards me. He was physically abusive towards my mom. And I look at that now. I could have been super bitter with my dad. There's some stuff that I could tell you about my dad that, oh, God, I could be so bitter. 
but I chose to forgive my dad. And this day, the reason I believe my dad is who he's become is because God called me to forgive my dad, and he's changed. I watched my dad so faithfully take care of my mom every day and fight for her in so many ways as she goes through Alzheimer's. And it's just amazing to me to watch the transformation. But see, there's no God-sized stories, no God-sized dreams that become reality unless we say, okay, God, I'm going to be a what-if I forgive, and I'm going to see what played through. Now, I want to also tell you, it don't always work out that way. But you're still called to forgive. And I can guarantee you this, you'll never have the stories unless you start to do it. But forgiveness starts at that cross. And I just want to ask you a question. You're all looking at me. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you don't have the understanding of his forgiveness for you, if you haven't received him into your life, the power of the Holy Spirit into your life, then you can't do this. You're too busy working with a natural seven count, ten count. You need the supernatural power of God to make it to the 490. And that only starts with a relationship with Christ. So I want to encourage you, if you don't know him, I'd love to talk to you about a relationship with him. You can see me afterwards. You can text me, call me, send me a message on Facebook, whatever. But I also want to encourage you, as you walk out these doors, if you've got bitterness towards someone, I'm not asking you to excuse what they did. They may have consequences. But I'm asking you to forgive them. And then see if God doesn't work. What if? What if? What if? Let's pray. Dear God, Heavenly Father, we just come before you in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray that your Holy Spirit has taken this message and planted it deep into our hearts, Lord God. And the fruit that we will bear will be the fruits of the Spirit. And love, joy, kindness, peace, self-control. Lord God, let us bear those fruits and the many more. Lord God, of walking with you. I pray that, Lord God, we will see that you're good towards us and it will be reflected in our relationship with others. I pray if there's someone in this room who doesn't know you, that Christ, they would turn their hearts towards you. And, Lord God, if there's someone in this room who needs to forgive another because the bitterness is driving them to points, Lord God, of poison and destruction and death, I pray that, Father, they would turn their hearts towards you and forgive that. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.